Hello everyone. Welcome to Dark Desires, where we discuss what drives a person to violence, why killers act out the way they do, and what factors may cause a person to no longer suppress their urges. If you're new here, a little background about me. Hi everyone, I'm Nicole. I am a true crime enthusiast with an associate's degree in criminal justice with a focus on criminology. I've always been curious about what makes criminals and violent offenders act out, and here we'll explore that a little deeper. Please note, I'm not a licensed psychologist or other mental health professional. This podcast also contains graphic material and foul language. This episode in particular includes graphic discussions of crime scenes, cannibalism, dismemberment, and domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. On March 1st, 2000, police in Aberdeen, New South Wales, Australia, responded to a wellness check for John Price when neighbors and co-workers grew concerned that he hadn't left the home to go to work. Unsure what they were expecting, police entered the residence with one officer pushing aside what he thought was a heavy curtain hung from a doorframe in the home. This curtain was, in fact, John Price's skin hung from hooks above the door. His girlfriend, Catherine Knight, was asleep in bed. Catherine Knight was born the 24th of October, 1955. Living in the small town of Aberdeen, New South Wales, her family was well known to the community. Her family was described as dysfunctional, her birth itself the result of an affair by her mother Barbara. Backlash in the local community from her affair with a man named Ken Knight forced them to move away, and they moved to Mori. Ken was extremely abusive towards Barbara, an alcoholic who was prone to angry outbursts and raped Barbara several times a day. Catherine would later report that she was frequently sexually assaulted by members of her family, although her father was not among them. In 1969, the family moved back to Aberdeen. Catherine was described by classmates as being a bully, and in general described as a child who is very angry, preying on children younger than her. It's not uncommon for those who have been traumatized to be generally angry or irritable. Young Catherine was reported to suffer from episodes which were most likely panic attacks due to post-traumatic stress disorder. It is important here to note that the vast majority of people with PTSD do not lash out at others violently, but this may inform how Catherine viewed intimate relationships later in life. Catherine dropped out of school at age 15 and a year later began a job as an offal cutter at a local slaughterhouse. She described this as her dream job and her coworkers would say that she was a diligent worker who was very good at her work. In 1973, Catherine met a co-worker, David Kellett. They quickly formed a relationship, marrying in 1974. Kellett was a heavy drinker who often got into fights. In these fights, Catherine was known to back him up relentlessly with physical force. Upon arrival to their wedding, Catherine's mother Barbara warned David about her. According to David, Barbara stated, quote, You better watch this one, or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way do the wrong thing, and you're fucked." End quote. One night, Kellett awoke to Catherine sitting over him, holding a knife. Their marriage, like the rest of Catherine's relationships, were dysfunctional and violent. On their wedding night, David and Catherine had sex three times, after which David fell asleep. Catherine attempted to strangle him as a punishment for this perceived lack of performance. They had a child together, named her Melissa, and shortly after, in 1976, David left Catherine for another woman, moving to Queensland. The day after David left, Catherine brought a very young Melissa into town in a stroller, 
She was seen by townspeople violently tossing the stroller around and yelling. She was admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital, where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression and later released. Shortly after her release, she stole an axe and brought a two-month-old Melissa into town. While in town, she swung the axe around and threatened to kill several people along the way. She then left Melissa on the train tracks in town. A homeless passerby saw Melissa and rescued her from off the train tracks shortly before the train was due to come through and contacted police. Catherine was again admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital, but checked herself out the following day against medical advice. Only a few days after this incident, she took a woman hostage with a knife and demanded that she drive her to a local car shop. The driver escaped after convincing Catherine that she needed to stop for gas and notified police. Later, Catherine would say that she went there to kill the mechanic who fixed David's car, as she blamed him for allowing David to leave her. Upon police informing David, he left his girlfriend and moved back in with Catherine. In August of 1976, Catherine moved to Ipswich with David and her mother-in-law, and she got a job at Dinmore Meatworks. In 1980, Catherine and David had another child, whom they named Natasha. In 1986, shortly after her split from David, Catherine met a local miner, another man named David, David Saunders. Their relationship, like her others, was turbulent from the start. In one incident, she slit his two-month-old puppy's throat in front of him when they got into an argument. She later stabbed him with a pair of scissors, following yet another argument, eventually lying to police and receiving a protection order against him. In 1991, Catherine began a relationship with her co-worker John Chillingworth, which left her pregnant. They had a child named Eric, and their relationship lasted three years, until she left him for a man that she'd been having an affair with, John Price. John Price was a father of three, with his two older children living with him. John was reportedly aware of Catherine's reputation, but seemed unbothered by it. Catherine moved into his home in 1995. He described the relationship as, quote, a bunch of roses, except for the occasional violent argument. In 1998, Catherine and John fought over marriage. Catherine wanted him to marry her, but he refused. In response, Catherine videotaped items that John had brought home from work, including a first aid kit, and sent the tape to his boss. This action got him fired from his 17-year job. John broke up with her over that incident, kicking her out of his home. A few months later, however, they got back together, although he did not allow her to move back in. The violent arguments became increasingly more frequent, and many of John's friends stopped associating with him because of Catherine. In February of 2000, yet another violent argument ended with Catherine stabbing John in the chest, and he kicked her out of the house. He then went to the Scone Magistrate's Court to file a restraining order against Catherine to keep her away from him and his children. That afternoon, John informed his boss and co-workers that if he did not show up to work, Catherine was to blame. They urged him not to return home, but he was afraid that she would hurt his children in anger and went home after work. He arrived home to find that Catherine was not there and she had sent the children for a sleepover at a friend's house. She arrived to the house later, around 11 p.m., while he was asleep. She watched TV for a short time before waking him, having sex, and he fell asleep shortly after. At 6 a.m. the following day, a neighbor grew concerned when she noticed that John's car was still in the driveway. Remembering John's warning, his boss sent an employee to the home to see if everything was okay. The neighbor and coworker attempted to wake him by knocking on his window, 
but upon noticing some blood on the front door, they called police. At approximately 8 a.m., police arrived and forced entry into the house through the back door. They found John's body in the hallway, mutilated, and Catherine passed out in bed. Blood evidence suggested that John fought for his life fiercely, at one point actually getting out the door, but either was dragged back into the house or stumbled backwards. An autopsy revealed that he had been stabbed at least 37 times. Several hours after his murder, Catherine skinned him, skillfully like she'd done with countless animals at work. She hung his skin above the doorframe inside the lounge area of the home using meat hooks. His head was found in a pot with vegetables that was still warm from being cooked. The temperature indicated that it had been cooked early that morning. Meat from John's corpse was found on plates, prepared with vegetables and labeled with his children's names. Catherine photographed his body and hand wrote a note, which she placed next to it, stating, quote, Time got you back, Jonathan, for raping my daughter. You to Beck for Ross, for Little John. Now, play with Little John's dick, John Price. End quote. The accusations in the note were later found to be false. John had never assaulted his own children or hers. In March of 2001, Catherine was arraigned on charges, and her trial was set. Catherine claimed that she did not remember any of the events of the night and firmly stuck by her claim of innocence, citing that the drugs she was taking was the cause of her actions. She and her attorney attempted to enter a plea deal for a charge of manslaughter. The court promptly rejected this offer, and her and her team entered a not guilty plea. Her legal team intended to use her mental state as a defense by declaring that at the time of the events, she had been disassociating and experiencing amnesia. Although this claim would be generally supported by psychiatrists, she was declared legally sane. Generally speaking, for an insanity defense, professionals must be able to prove that the person could not understand that their action was wrong and lacks the capacity to understand the gravity of their crimes. In the middle of the trial, for an unknown reason, Catherine changed her plea to guilty and the trial was adjourned. The judge ordered a psychiatric evaluation to determine if Catherine had the capacity to understand the consequences of entering a guilty plea. Both psychiatrists involved determined that Catherine was fit to understand her plea and diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder is a personality disorder that causes unpredictable mood swings, risky and aggressive behaviors, needs to control people and things, fears of abandonment, self-harming behaviors, paranoia, and unstable relationships. Approximately 70% of people with borderline personality disorder report that they were mistreated in childhood, often by family members. Importantly, many people live with borderline personality disorder and are not violent, and we aren't quite sure what makes some people violent and not others. What we do know is that Catherine seems to display a common idea among traumatized individuals, the idea of punishing the innocent for the actions of the guilty, where a person seeks to lash out at others to express their repressed anger for the mistreatment that was inflicted on them in the past. At her final hearing, her lawyers requested that she be excused to spare her hearing some facts of the case. Upon the court describing the skinning and decapitation of John Price, Catherine became hysterical and inconsolable. She had to be sedated to continue the hearing. Ultimately, she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole making history as Australia's first female inmate serving life without parole. 
Catherine is now 66 years old and is currently imprisoned at Clarence Correctional Center in Grafton, New South Wales, where she will spend the rest of her days.